glad for that greater yes. In other words, we can trust God no matter what. And God's always uh, right, and God's always at work, and God's always on time. We're going to dismiss our children at this time to their children's ministry. And if you would take your Bible and turn to Numbers chapter 13 this morning, Numbers 13, we're going to look at our first Peter 3 tonight in the evening service. I'm going to preach this morning, Numbers chapter 13. I'm glad to have my friend, Brother Scott Carsley, here with us, and he'll be giving us an update of the Edge Christian Camp, the ministry that God put on his heart and started a number of years ago. And they were here back with us a year or so ago with his quartet, and they sang, and, and he's on his way down to Florida and stopped in here. He's helping us with our new building project that will be taking place just a year from now. And so time's uh, going by pretty fast, and so Brother Carsley, God used, has used his background work and what he did and, uh, before launching into full-time ministry with the camp. And he's able to help pastors when it comes to this matter of building and assisting in that area. So I'm grateful for his expertise and, and he's helping us be able to know where to cut corners without losing quality, but also without having to, to pay more than what's needed. And, and so I believe the Lord's put a lot of things together, just very excited for what God is doing. What's the purpose of building? Well, it's so that we can still reach souls. And everything that we do, it's about this matter of being on mission with God's vision. And so very grateful to see the young people get up and, and just glad for what God's doing in their lives and, and knowing that God's doing a work in, from the littlest to the biggest, youngest to the oldest. And um, God doesn't want to miss you either. And so Numbers chapter 13. Now, I've, I've preached this passage and there's so much here. We could stay, we could develop really a whole series just out of this one chapter, chapter 13. Then if you add chapter 14, you've got a whole nother series. There's a lot taking place here. And so there will be some overlap, but I'm coming back to this because I believe that there's a, there's a needed emphasis and it just has been reoccurring lately in my travels and, and talking with both people, men, preachers. And I want to be able to help us here this morning. I believe that God has a message for us. Um, and the message from God means that God wants to do business in our life. And so I'm not as concerned ever about a sermon. I'm concerned about the message that God has for us. And so Numbers chapter 13, let's stand together and we'll look at the end of the chapter, beginning with verse 27. And they told him, that is the spies, remember there were spies that went out to view the land, and they told him and said, we came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. By the way, they're looking at Canaan, that's the land, not the church, but the land. Verse 28, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in that land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites in the 
Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Now keep in mind that God delivered his people from enduring the bondage of Egypt. Remember they cried unto God while in Egypt for 430 years and, and God heard their cry and sent a human instrument to let God use him to deliver the people. And Moses comes in on the scene trying to help God's people hear from God and get connected to God and and he's working on behalf of the people of God before God. And, and then we find that Pharaoh says, I don't know who your God is and I'm not letting you go. This ain't going to happen. And God begins to work. And we know the, the ten plagues that God did, ten plagues upon Pharaoh, and, but they were ten miracles for the people of God. They didn't know how many miracles there were, how many plagues there were going to be. They didn't have a checklist. One down, nine to go. Two down, eight to go. They had no idea. All they knew to do was trust God and obey. It wasn't easy. In fact, in Exodus 5, we find it was harder for them once they knew God was going to deliver them. They were beaten. They were driven harder. They had an unbearable task, they felt, and they said it was better before we ever heard from God than to have heard from Him and go through this. And so it wasn't an easy journey, but God was true to His Word and delivered His people. He delivered them and He brings them now to a place known as Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh means consecrated. God delivered his people from Egypt so they could enjoy the blessings of the land of Canaan. Before they could ever enjoy the land of Canaan, they have to enter into the borders of Canaan. But before they can enter into the borders of Canaan, they have to embrace that this is God's will for our life. Kadesh means consecrated. This should have been the time when God's people said, Makes no difference what happens. All that matters is what God says. Thus we will trust and obey. Instead, Kadesh. Kadesh Barnea has become synonymous with defeat and lost opportunity. All they had to do was trust and obey. They forfeited. And you know the story. They spent 40 long years in a wilderness. Now God was good to his people in the wilderness. He led them. He fed them. He was good to them. If you didn't know what we know now, you'd say, I'd like to be in that wilderness. Because God was good to them. Sure he's good. He's good all the time. But that doesn't replace the fact that God's will included so much more than wandering around in a wilderness. In fact, while God's people said, this is pretty good. Hebrews chapter 3, God's estimation was their carcasses in a wilderness. I don't want it to be pretty good and be a carcass in a wilderness. 
I want the so much more that God has in store. Yeah. All they had to do was trust and obey. But for 40 long years, 40 years, he led them, he fed them. He kept clothes on them that never wore out. I mean, that's all the makings of a good Southern gospel song right there. You can, you can live off of that one for quite a while. But it was never his will. I want us to see this morning, and I've preached this, and what we're going to see is that what put them in the wilderness kept them out of the land of promise. What kept those 40 years keeping the so much more at arm's length was a tragic sin known as unbelief. I want us to also see, as, we've, as I've preached this before, that God does have more in store. But I also want us to see that every one of us will make a decision every time we hear Bible truth and every time we're confronted with God's will for our life, we're going to make a decision just like these spies who made a decision. And the decision does not just affect us. It affects our family and those around us. So the invitation is this. What spirit are you going to have? The spirit of the ten? The ten said, we be not able. Or the spirit of the two? The two who said, let us go up at once. Let us trust and obey today. Which one are you going to choose? Let's talk about it, shall we? Thank you. Please be seated. Unbelief. Unbelief is the sin that was committed here. A.W. Tozer said every man will have to decide for himself whether or not he can afford the terrible luxury of unbelief. Horatius Bonar said in all unbelief there are two opinions popular. When you have unbelief, I have unbelief. We hold two opinions at that time. Number one, you have a pretty good opinion about yourself. And in unbelief, number two, you have a pretty lousy opinion about God. Do you know that there's no greater insult to God than not to take him at his word? What is it that makes a person a Baptist? It's not entering into a building that has Baptist on the name. Baptist means I believe the Bible. That's why we don't go with, well, we believe the Bible and we use these, uh, these uh, uh, doctrinal surveys and synopsis that someone else has written over here. No, it's just the Bible. God wrote one book, it's the Bible. And it's not what some uh, religious organization has compiled to explain what the Bible means that we put our stock in. No, we just believe the Bible. Yeah, God's word is his opinion, it is his mind, it is his authority. The authority is not what we think about it, the authority is what God says about it. And so unbelief is not taking God at his word. What was the sin in the Garden of Eden? God said don't, Adam and Eve did, they disobeyed God. But the ultimate sin was they didn't take God at his word. They challenged God that they knew something more than God. And therefore they, they committed the sin of disobedience, but it was unbelief, unbelief.
See, unbelief will put a man in hell. No one goes to hell because of how many sins they have. No one goes to hell because of how big their sin might be. John 3.18 says a man goes to hell because he chooses not to put his dependence upon Jesus Christ and Jesus alone to be his Savior. You say, oh, I think I'm pretty good. God says, no, you're pretty bad. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, my sin's not as bad as somebody else. Well, you're using the wrong scale. God's not comparing you to somebody else. God's comparing you to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter number five, that if we're going to get into heaven, we need to be, be therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect perfect. Well, none of us are perfect. No one is perfect. Romans 3 and verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous or as good as God, no, not one. And because of that, Christ died, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins. He didn't die for his sins. He had no sins. He didn't die for his mistakes. He had no mistakes. He died for your sin. 2,000 years ago, God knew you. He loved you. And Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for your sin. So that 1 John 1 and verse 7, if you accept Jesus to be your Savior, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That means all of your past sins, all of today's sins, and even all of your future sins because there's power in the blood of Jesus. It was sung by the choir just a moment ago, Jesus, the one and only. Jesus is not a way, he is the way. He's not some kind of an idea. He is the truth and the life. The devil is one who is trying to destroy your life. He will fill it with all kinds of junk food in this life, but it is Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul, who died so that you can have life. He was buried and he was resurrected so that you can call upon a living Savior to save you today. But see, it's unbelief when someone says, well, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he's the answer. I believe he's the way, but not today. That, my friend, is unbelief. You're choosing not to put your dependence upon Jesus. Listen, you can choose Jesus to be your savior. You can choose for Jesus to not be your savior, but you cannot choose not to choose. If you're not saved this morning, you walk out of here not getting saved, you just told Jesus to take a hike. You will never get saved when you want to get saved. Nobody in all the Bible ever got saved when they were good and ready. You only get saved while God's dealing with you. The Bible says that in John 6, he must draw all men to him. He must do the work of drawing. He has to do the work of convicting. He has to do the work of convincing. See, it's not religion that he wants you to have. You can have religion and go to hell. One of Jesus' students who traveled with him for three years is in hell this morning because he was religious, but he was lost. Jesus didn't die so you'd have religion. That's like indigestion. You can burp and get over it, but you'll burn in hell if you don't get past religion and get to Jesus. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, unbelief will put a person in hell. But unbelief will put God's people in a wilderness. You say, well, that's better than hell. It sure is. 
But I don't think God takes so kindly to you calling him a liar. I don't think God, well, in fact, I know God is a jealous God, and he's not going to let you be God for the day. If you could trust him to save your soul, I have to challenge the integrity and the sincerity of a person who will say, I believe Jesus and I trust him to be my savior, but I am not going to trust him with my life. These 10 spies, excuse me, these 12 spies, they went to go view the land. Now keep in mind, land in the Old Testament was rather important and significant. Well, in fact, today in the Middle East, the land is still very significant, is it not? Yeah, there's some fighting taking place right now today because of the significance of land. But in the Old Testament, God promised his people, if they live in surrender and submission to him, God's revival blessing, it had to do with land. They'd have a bumper crop year after year so that if there's ever a famine, God's people would say, Something's not right. Something's not right between us and the Lord because we're not supposed to have a famine. And God promised if God's people were in surrender and submission to him that the wives would bear children. That's why in the Old Testament you find a wife who was childless. She, didn't, she wasn't pining away because I just want a child. Most of the time they understood God's favor must not be upon us because God promised we'd be fruitful in childbearing. Because God's blessing, it involved that of the prosperity of the land. Also God promised when his people were living in surrender and submission, they would not lose in battle. So if they lost in battle like they did Ai, the stronghold of Ai, they said, something's not right. We're not supposed to lose in battle. That's the land. But in the New Testament, when Jesus saved us and in the work that he's doing in our life, it's not about land, it's about life. So when I read about land in the Old Testament, well, I understand he's not talking about the soil, soil of the U.S. Uh, today or Covington or whichever county you may live. He's not talking about the land and soil. He's talking about life. Jesus said, John 10 and verse 10, I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life. That's eternal life. That's the life how you get from here to heaven. But he said, not only life eternal, but life abundant, John 10, verse 10. And that is a quality of life, so that if God's people live in surrender and submission to him, in the New Testament, he says, I promise that you'll have peace, love, and joy. Answers to prayer. Obvious help of the Holy Spirit. See, it's all about the quality of life. In the Old Testament, it was about the quality of their land, bumper crop, fruit-bearing children with children, not losing in battle. But in the New Testament, it's about life. So here they are in the Old Testament looking at the land God was directing them to, Canaan. The place of victory. By the way, I hope you understand this. Canaan is not heaven in the Bible. No, because they had to fight their way in and then they had to fight once they get there. In heaven, there will be no battle. And so it's not heaven, it's a place of victory. It's the promised life. It's the place of advancement to experiencing the so much more that God has in store for us. So the spies, they went and viewed the land. Twelve of them. 
You remember? Ten were bad. Two were good. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? Ten were bad, two were good. How many know the song? You don't know the song. Well, I just told you. Ten were bad, two were good. Remember the names of the two good ones? Their names were Joshua, Caleb, Caleb, and Joshua. Remember any of the names of the ten? Do you know Numbers 13 tells you the names? But they're not significant to us. You're not going to name one of your kids after one of the ten. We're not going to name our new building after one of the ten. But I'm afraid the spirit of the ten influences us far too often. So what happens? The ten go in, the Bible says, in, in verse number 27 that we read. They saw the land. In fact, all 12 of them, all 12 spies said the same thing. Their report was the exact same. All 12 of them looked at the land and said, this is a good land. It flows with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. And all 12 of them said, there are problems. Yes, there are problems. There are giants. Giants are bigger than us. We're, we're small. They're big. They all said the same thing. The difference was they gave the wrong conclusion. The 10 gave a different conclusion than the two. All 12 said the same thing. Good land, problems, yes, but good land. The difference was when it came time to vote, 10 said, we be not able. The two said, let us go up at once. See, unbelief, what it does is, it looks at themselves. We're grasshoppers in the sight of those giants. Unbelief, it looks at the problems. The ten spies in unbelief, they saw themselves, they saw their problems, and they said, we be not able. Caleb and Joshua, however, they saw themselves. Yeah, we're smaller. They saw the problems. Yeah, they're giants. But Caleb and Joshua, they saw God. And because they saw God, they said, let us go up at once, for we are well able to overcome it. See, this matter of unbelief, it looks like three different things that are mentioned here. Number one, in verse number 27, they went to view the land. They went to spy out the land. And here's the problem. In chapter 13, verse number one, God says, I already gave you the land. But here's what they're doing. Well, let let us just investigate. Let's just just take a look at it and see. And and let's just not get too hasty about this. Let's 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 just go take a look at it. God says, sure, go ahead. Choose the men, go, go look at it. Do you know everything that they saw, God had already told them? There's giants. It's fruitful. But here's the most important thing God told them. I want you to go. I give it to you. God, what about the giants? I already give it to you. God, what about, no, I've already given it to you. And so they go and spy out the land and the ten say, did anybody see the giants? And Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, God already told us about that. Has anyone seen how small we are? We are like, they even think we're grasshoppers. And Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, but, but God says they look like grasshoppers to him. Isaiah chapter 40 is what he says. 
What is it that unbelief does? And by the way, unbelief is a very big deal. Matthew chapter 17, verse 15, a father comes to his disciples, to the disciples, and say, or actually comes to Jesus and says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and sore vexed, meaning he's possessed of a demon. And he says of his son, oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water, and I brought him to thy disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus, hearing this father who's burdened, and Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And the Bible says, Jesus rebuked the devil. The devil departed out of the child. The child was cured from that very hour, which tells me Jesus was not, had not run out of power. But at the invitation, the disciples come to Jesus and they said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said, well, you know, I'm not really sure. That's a good question. No, he looked him in the eyes. He said, it's because of your unbelief. I'm telling you, it's a big deal. It tells me this, Dr. Childs, it is possible just as those disciples who are commissioned by God, who are given authority there to cast out demons and to heal sickness, and yet they failed. It tells me you can have a ministry without miracles. I don't want those kind of miracles. I, I know there are people who, who go around talking about miracles and, and, uh, and come and see the sensation. I'm not talking about that. You can talk about the sensational all you want, but until you see souls saved and you see lives changed, but people are looking for miracles like uh, uh, winning the lottery. That's a miracle. Ah, that's the kind of miracle I'm looking for. You can win the lottery and go to hell. That's not the miracle God died on the cross for. The greatest of all miracles is when a person calls upon the name of the Lord and he saves their soul. And when he saves you, he doesn't want you to roam and wander in the wilderness. He wants you to go into that life of blessing. And these disciples couldn't figure out why did we fail in this area? And Jesus said, it's your unbelief. Mark chapter six, verse five and six, Jesus comes into his home territory. If there's any place where we could expect God to do the most, it ought to be with the people who know him best. If there's any place we should expect, in other words, I, 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 don't, I don't have great expectation that God's going to um, do too many mighty works at an NBA basketball game today. But I should expect him to show up and show out at Bible-believing churches across this nation today. Amen. Jesus came to his home territory. And the Bible says he could there do no mighty work save except they laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And the Bible says he marveled because of their unbelief. I'm telling you, it's a big deal. I wonder if Jesus marvels at your great faith in him or does he marvel at your unbelief? Don't tell me about your cute little Bible story and your little Bible devotion. Don't tell me about your prayer life. Don't tell me how great a Christian you are when you have unbelief in your life that paralyzes you from going forward, taking great strides with God. Mm. 
I don't know if my microphone went off there. I think it kind of went out. Did you, did you get that one? Romans chapter 4, verse 18, Paul uses an Old Testament illustration by the name of Abraham. Romans 4, 18, Abraham against hope, he believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Abraham, being not weak in faith, considered not his own body now dead when he's about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of his wife Sarah's womb, who's 90 years old. But he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Because he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. But the Bible says in the middle of that, that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, he didn't stagger. He didn't vacillate. God can don't think he will. God might. He probably won't. He didn't stagger and vacillate. It, it reminds me of a squirrel. You're riding down the road and that squirrel comes, you say, don't do it. And he goes back, smart thinking. And just like that, he's right back, commits suicide. I don't understand that. I, I mean, they're, they're the most vacillating, staggering creatures. I, 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 don't, I would like to understand, maybe Daniel Thomas can enlighten me on the, on the brain of a squirrel, what makes it do that. And, um, but Brother Thomas will explain it and I still won't get it. But, but you know, that, that staggering concept. Hey, Bible says that Abraham didn't stagger the promise of God. Here's my question. Did he ever stagger the promise of God? Sure he did. You remember Hagar? Abraham said, God, I can help you out. So why would Paul say that Abraham did not stagger at the promise of God? It's because when Abraham got right with God about unbelief, God says, I will not hold it against you. I will forgive you. We got phone calls coming in here. God says, I will forgive you and not hold it against you. So that tells me that when you and I get right with God about unbelief, He will forgive you and not hold it against you. And He will look at you as if you had never committed that sin. But you've got to get right with God. Amen. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. And so He's speaking to saved people. He says in verse number 7, as the, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you hear my voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. By the way, he's talking about this same passage in Numbers 13 and 14. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, the temptation, the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my work 40 years. Wherefore was I grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart. They've not known my ways, God said, so I swear in my wrath. They shall not enter into my rest. Now listen to what he says in verse 12 of Hebrews 3. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Verse 18, so to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. And the last verse of Hebrews 3 is verse number 19. So we see that they, back in Numbers 13, could not enter in because of, and the last word of Hebrews chapter 3 says, they could not enter in because of unbelief. 
I'm saying unbelief is a big deal to God. And it should be a big deal to us. So what is it that unbelief looks like? It looks like the ten spies. The ten spies said, I know God sent us and God wants, I know what God, we, we've read God's word, we've studied it, we've taught it, but here's what happened. Number one, they minimized what God's word said. They disregarded the fact that God said, go. They disregarded the fact that God says, I've got more in store. What does unbelief do? It disregards what God says. Someone says, well, I, I, I know that the Bible says, but I've always been taught. That's unbelief. Well, I know that, that we probably should join the church, but, you know, I just, you know, we got, we've got issues. Well, who doesn't? Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling. Someone says, well, I'm here. Well, that's not assembly, that's attending. Yeah. Assembling is being fastened together in God's plan with God's divine favor. It is being a part of. It is not just showing up. It is not taking the mindset that our current government has about being some kind of an illegal, going to take off the benefits, enjoy the benefits without belonging. God says you need to belong. Unbelief is what keeps people from doing that. They minimize God's word. What's your attitude towards the Bible? I love the Bible. Good. We'll see you at five o'clock tonight. Oh, I don't love it that much. Psalm 1 and verse 2, the blessed happy man, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and? Mm -hmm. What's your attitude towards the Bible? Someone says, well, I too am a preacher. Good. Then you know better. John 2 and verse 5, Mary said unto the servants, Whatsoever he, Jesus, saith unto you, do it. Amen. Yeah, Jesus came up, before, came up with it before Nike did. Do it. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 15, 14, You are my friends, Jesus said, If you do whatsoever I've commanded you. Watch your attitude towards the Bible. Not only do we see that they minimized, disregarded what God's word said, but then when it comes time to, we got to take a vote here, what are we going to do? We're going to trust God and obey. We're going to trust God and obey. We're going to trust God and obey. And the 10 said, we be not able. Why we be not able? Other than they just hadn't had a good English class yet. Why we be not able? Because they're stronger than we are because we're grasshoppers in their sight, because they're giants. Here's what unbelief does. It disregards what God says. Number two, it leaves God out of the equation. What are the problems? List them. Put God in the equation, you'll always find out that God's greater. We can't do it. Why? I'll tell you why. Because you left God out of the picture. You left God out. Can you part the Red Sea? 
God can. Can you make the axe head float? God can. Can you bring Lazarus from the grave? God can. Can you wash your sins away? God can. They left God out of the equation. You know, a lot of times people are struggling with problems and bitterness and all kinds of things and still dwelling on past hurts. As I've said it before, if you treat it like an offense on the inside, you don't treat it like an offense on the outside and go to the problem or go to the source of the solution, then my friend, you're in grave unbelief. If it's a, an offense to you on the inside, then you better treat it like one on the outside and take it the way God says to take it. And you go to the person, you get it settled so that you can stop being like Satan and be like Jesus who is a lover of unity over truth. Amen. You get punched in the nose, it'll probably hurt. But if a year later your nose still hurts, you've got a serious medical problem. If someone hurt you, wounded you, offended you, it might hurt. But with God's grace being all sufficient, days turns into weeks and weeks into months and months into years, and you still can't get over it. You have a serious spiritual problem. It's called unbelief. See, unbelief, it disregards what God says about the matter. Unbelief, it leaves God out of the equation. And then unbelief, here's what it does in chapter 14. And the Bible says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and wept, and they cried, and they spake unto Moses. And they began to really, here's what they do. They complain and they criticize. And they said, it, would, it was better for us in Egypt. Do you understand what they're saying? Are you still with me? Amen. Some of you are pooching your lip out, and that's not, not, not a good sign. It's a good sign for me. Yeah. And, and uh, it was better for us to go back to Egypt. We should have stayed in. That's like a Holocaust survivor saying, I wish we would have stayed in that concentration camp. No, no one has said that. But here they're saying, well, I think we were better off in Egypt. Really? That's not what you said when you were in Egypt. See, here's what happens when you leave God's, you minimize God's word. You can carry it and still minimize it. You can memorize it and still minimize it. You can preach it and still minimize it. When you minimize God's word and you leave God out of the equation, here's what inevitably it'll do. It'll cause you to veto God's will. And so here the men saying, I think we ought to go back into Egypt. And then they had the audacity to say, I think it's better for our wives and our children. Sir, is it really better for your family to go to the place that minimizes God's word and leaves God's, leave, leaves God's power out of the equation? Is that what's best for your family? But what the problem is, so many men have left the responsibility of leading the home spiritually to the wife and to the mother that they're just sitting on the sideline watching it like an air traffic controller. Well, you know, my, I'm so busy at work. I work. Well, change your work schedule. Change your work schedule. Change your priorities. 
Is it better for your wife and children? Well, we have Bible study at home. God didn't say have Bible study at home. God said to trust and obey in the devils, James chapter 2. Believe God and tremble. They're having Bible studies at home. But the devils aren't going to heaven. See, it's not about having a Bible study here or there. It's not about how many people in your marketing uh, pyramid of discipleship you have. It's about whether or not you're trusting and obeying God in every area of your life. You can have, you, you can make a mockery. You can hear James chapter 1, but if you're a hearer and not a doer, you're self-deceived. Why? Because you've minimized God's word, you've left God out of the equation, and you've vetoed God's will so much that you say, we're just, we're just going to do it the way we see it. Maybe that's why God says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Why? Because so many people say, well, you know, the way I see it, I see it. I think we need a church that has this flavor, and we need this, and we need this. This is not a Mr. Potato Head. This is a body, and Christ is the head. And if you don't like Christ is the head, you stop acting like the devil and tampering with something that Jesus died for. So what people say is, I'm just not going to join the I'm not going we're gonna, we're gonna, to, we're going to do our own thing, just like the ten spies. Mm-hmm. Caleb and Joshua. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing Caleb and Joshua, Caleb and Joshua, Caleb and Joshua, Caleb and Joshua. But all it took was those 10 spies who said, Dr. Childs taught us about murmuring in college. And Dr. Childs only taught us about murmuring when he was teaching through the Pentateuch. The, old, the first five books of the Bible, but he would demonstrate murmuring. And whenever, I mean, I got more out of him demonstrating because just the very sound of the word is what Moses was hearing. Somebody says, I don't know why we don't have more prayer around here. I don't know why you don't come to the prayer times that we do have. I don't know why we don't have more singing. I don't know why you don't come to the services where we do sing more. I don't know why we don't have more preaching. Well, I agree with you about that one. I think we, we could have some more preaching. In other words, somebody's just looking for always something I can complain about. Mm. And do you know what they were trying to do? They were trying to, to replace the leader. They were complaining. They were criticizing. And then they were even accusing God over a period of time. And it was all, there's just this murmuring taking place because they're in unbelief. So my question this morning is, what spirit are you going to have? The spirit of the ten or the spirit of the two? And the ten influenced millions so they went into the wilderness. In Hebrews 3, God says, there are carcasses in a wilderness. And I see people, we see them every week. They, people visit, people, uh, we make visits, we find people. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. Well, what church are you a part of? Oh, I love Jesus. 
Well, when are you going to get a part of the God's organism, God's body? Oh, I love Jesus. And all they're saying is, I don't think unbelief is all that bad. I, I, I don't think, have my own way, Lord, have my own way is all that bad. But I want to tell you, you're influencing your children. You're influencing those around you. And God says they're carcasses in a wilderness. That's why we've got churches all over Georgia. And yet we've got more crime. We've got our crime rate. The pornography industry. The child trafficking. And we have churches everywhere. It's because unbelief turns us into carcasses in a wilderness. You say, you sound like you're pretty hard. We're not nearly as hard, I think, as Jesus views it. I just know that I struggle with the same tendency. And I cannot, I cannot, I cannot afford to stand in my life what God cannot stomach. I think there's a lot of things God wants to do here. We're trying to, we're talking about being on mission with God's vision. We got to go forward onward, Christian soldiers, going as to war. We're talking about building. I think if we ever have vision that is not beyond human possibility, we have the wrong vision. Since when did we ever think that God saved us to play it safe? Do you know in, in the land of Canaan was where God wanted his people to go? But in the wilderness is what they chose and they chose safe. It was safe in the wilderness. God wanted them to go to Canaan. What were they going to have to do when they got to Canaan? Fight. Battles. Do you know who they fought in the wilderness? Each other. They were so inward focused. And what did they do in the wilderness? They complained. Whose idea was it to come here anyway? And they're all pointing at each other. You, all, you voted for this. We don't like it. Brother John preached a great message Wednesday night on being content. Don't you, don't misunderstand. The children of Israel in the wilderness, they were not content. They were complacent. Complacency is not the same as contentment. And there are a lot of people that try to mask their, their complacency by simply saying, I'm content. I'm waiting on God. We're trusting God. You're not trusting God if you're not taking the step of faith that leads to obedience. Where are you practically speaking? Bob Jones Sr. said, the test of a man's character is whatever it takes to stop him. 
And we can talk about trusting God and believing God, but where are the areas where, where God has convinced you, you know, I need to move here. I need to step here. I need to act in this direction. But you minimize God's word. You leave God's power out of the equation and you veto the will of God and you hunker down because it's safe. Really, it's complacency. Let me ask you, how are you doing on your health? Your health. Weight. For some, it's always a battle. A battle's fine. Unless you stop fighting. I mean, if you started the diet last year, you shouldn't be heavier now than before you started the diet. And yet people complain, my health is so bad, I just don't. And the doctor's been telling you, you got to lose weight. Stop carrying around two of you when, you. when God created one of you, carry around the one of you. And here's, here's what we say. Well, I would, but I don't like healthy food. Well, grow up, you little baby. Stop with the we be not able because I don't want to eat vegetables. We be not able because I don't like eating salad. So quit complaining when you be not able to walk up three steps. You say, that's not preaching, that's meddling. Well, it may be, it may be. Let me, let me, let me move on. It's still true because what's true in the spiritual affects the physical. How are you in your finances? Until you're convinced that God's right about your sinful debt. What's the problem with debt? You're answering to the wrong master. You're not free to do as God wants you to do because you're bound by your wrong decisions. And when you keep saying, here's what the, here's what the ten spies said. God is God. Yes, he said go. And yes, it's a good land. Yes. You know what the spies did? The ten spies said everything right. They just made the wrong conclusion. And so here's what people say. We're trusting God. We'll do anything we can. We're serious about this. And five years later, we're in more debt than we were before we started this. Why? Because they're tolerating the spirit of the ten. We be not able. Go get a pizza delivery job after your, your, your nine to four job. Change jobs if you're not making. Well, we get, I get free snacks from the vending machine at this job. I can't leave this plush job. We be not able. We be not able is what you're putting up with. And God doesn't put up with that attitude. Say, is it a big deal? Well, you look 20 years from now where it puts your kids. I'm telling you, it is a big deal. How about discipleship? There are some who have suggested you got to go through discipleship. Just so you hear from me, you know what I think about it. Every child of God, if you're saved, you should be enrolled in the school of Jesus. Everybody needs somebody, iron sharpening iron, and everybody needs somebody to walk us through 
Listen, we have deacons that probably some of them know more the Bible than I do, but they have allowed themselves to be humble and to be taught because every child of God needs more of God, not less. There are some who just try to cut corners on this discipleship. There are some I've started discipleship with we never finished. You know why? Because they minimized the word of God. They left God's power out of the equation. They vetoed God's will. And so then they've cut corners and the spirit of the ten has crept in. So they say, we'd be not able. Well, you know, I just, I don't know. You know, pastor's hard to talk to. I'll tell you the ones who have trouble and difficulty talking to pastor are those who have the spirit of the ten. Caleb and Joshua have no problem coming to me. But the we be not able don't want to talk to the one who says, let's go up at once and possess it. Caleb and Joshua, let's go up at once and possess it. Because God can't. But the we be not able. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if I heard, Pastor. I don't, I don't know if I heard that right. And you can make all kinds of excuses. And in the estimation of it all is God's estimation. Carcasses. Carcasses in the wilderness. I don't want that over my tombstone. If anything's on my tombstone, I want it to at least be said, he attempted to trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And obey. What about your spiritual maturity? There are some who've gone through their teen years. I don't know what God wants me to do. They've gone through their 20s. I don't know what God wants me to do. They're going into their 30s. I don't know what God wants me to do. But God knows. Why don't you get in his presence and figure it out? We be not able. And if I get into a serious conversation, why are you in a wilderness? Why are you content in being in a wilderness? Here's what will start coming up. Somebody hurt my feelings way back there. Someone made fun of me. Someone said I couldn't, I was not good at ping pong and it really hurt my feelings. Well, how old were you then? Well, I was like 11. Well, how old are you now? Like 31. And you're still not over the ping pong insult? Well, you don't know, you don't know what it's like to, to have no one who believes in me. Have you ever heard of God? Amen. We be not able is what makes you a carcass in a wilderness. When you can go up at once and possess it, for we are well able with his power. Listen, we're gonna we're gonna go forward with the building. We're going to build. You say, we got the money? Nope. 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 
And by the way, we're not going to trust God like some people who say we're going to trust God and go deeper in debt. We're going to trust God and get bigger. We're going to trust God and get more out of sin. We're not, I'm not talking about trusting God so I can stay complacent. I'm talking about we're going to trust God and we're going to go forward. We're going to trust God and obey. We're going to trust God and not slack up and on the things where we ought to be shoring up. We want to trust God and watch God work. We want to trust God so that God comes down and he shows his power and his might. That's the kind of trust in God. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm tired of talking about it. I get tired of just talking, talking, talking. And we get around and a lot of people start, it's just easy to talk. Well, you know, one day, one, one, one day we're going to really get serious about it. Well, well, when is that one day? Show me on the calendar. When is the one day? You know, tomorrow is the fool's calendar. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Today, today, today is the day of salvation. If you're not saved, I wouldn't leave this property without getting settled. The fact that God loves you, Jesus died for you, and that he's your personal savior. You will go somewhere when you take your last breath. You don't know when that'll be, do you? You don't, but God does. And God says, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, now's the time. Now's the time. Why? Because you don't get a do-over after you take your last breath. I've got a lot of living to do. You don't know how much living you have to do. But I do know this. Hell is for eternity. And if you die and go to hell, you'll never get another chance. But God's given you a chance now. Now's the time to trust Jesus. Listen to me, God's people. He didn't save you so that we can roam around in the wilderness and take the get out of hell free card and do our own thing. He saved you so that you would surrender to him and you would follow him step, step, step by step, trust and obey, get out of the wilderness, get into the life of blessing, get into the place where you are seeing the impossible being done. Oh, I'm so scared to get out into the deep water. Not if Jesus is there, you shouldn't be scared. I don't know if I can do it. You can't, but God can. I don't know if I should. If he said so, you should. You need to trust and obey. Which spirit are you going to have? The spirit of the ten? Or the spirit of the two. Spirit of the ten that says we be not able. Or the spirit of the two that says come hell or high water. It's trust and obey. There's no other way for us. What are you waiting on? Let's stand together please.